Welcome everybody to another episode of Float Your Boat. We're in season four and I'm happy to be back with my mate, Freddie Boy. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk that we would make it to season four, George? Well, I can't believe it. No, I can't either, to be honest. It's cost us a bomb, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listeners. We love you. We do indeed. I mean, we do this because we love doing this. We just love talking to people. We, you especially love talking I do, to people. I do indeed. And speaking of loving talking to people, who, who do we have on today? Today we have Shani O'Connell. Shani O'Connell. Now, she's, a, she's an expert in sharks. Oh, sorry, Shani Connell, not O'Connell. For some reason we'll I thought drop it was the O'Connell. O, shall we? All right, to be sure. Uh, well, shall we do that again, Brett? No, let's just keep okay, on going, we'll George. keep going. No, Shani, Shani Connell. Shani is very much an activist in marine conservation and protecting sharks. In fact, sharks are her fascinating subject. And snakes. Sharks and snakes. Yeah, sea snakes. Yeah. I who didn't do, realise we had Who would have thought that shark, um, sea snakes have like a paddle tail? Well, I've seen them, but well, it makes sense. Well, they look sense. like eels, don't they? Do sort they look of. like eels? I'm assuming they do. Or I haven't seen many, fortunately. Well, I'm going to refer that to the Google god once the interview's over. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to have a, a good look at um, sea snakes because I really don't know what they look like. Of course, there is a yellow belly sea snake, not a red belly black snake. Apparently. Which you thought might be related. Well, I thought they could be because, you know, creatures came out of the ocean and populated land. So, you know, there, there are some connections. I just thought maybe it's... Yeah. Anyway... Let's, let's, let's leave the keep, thinking for the smart put, people and you just talk. Right. Okay. So without further ado, we're Let's going get her to, into the studio. Absolutely. Let's get her in. Shani Connell. Here she comes. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to our studio, Shani. Thanks, George. Hi. Hi, Brett. How are you? Partner in crime, Brett over there, and he's he's gonna. He, you, are you gonna be quiet, or are you really gonna take? I'll decide as the interview take goes. Because Go usually Brett. you don't stop talking, so. You know. Oh well, I was just expressing to Shani my love for kids, earlier. It, I don't know if that's politically correct, George. Your love for kids. Well, <laughs> well, we're sharing a, a studio complex yeah. with. Oh, with the crash. With the crash next yeah. door, and I can hear the beating of the drum. They're probably doing some Wiggles tune. Talk about top ten hits. You were apparently in a band as well. I was in a band, yes. What type of band? 
Um, well, yeah, there was a little bit of contention around what type of band we actually were. Um, a lot of people wanted to be sort of funk jazz type thing, but I was kind of more leaning towards more of a grunge feel. So I wasn't quite the fit for the band. You didn't fit in? Uh, no, sounds no. Sounds like the band was quite confused. Yeah. Mm. It didn't last long? Um, no, no, it didn't. I was probably with them for about a year. We actually did a gig on a boat once. That was really cool. A little bit hard to play when the boat's rocking. That works on float your boat, doesn't it? It, it does. does. <laughs> it does indeed. But how old were you at the time? Oh, that was in my early, early days when I was 19, 20, yeah. Oh, do we need to go further back? Yeah, where did you oh, where wow. did you where did you grow up? I grew up on um, in the North Shore, yeah, Sydney. On the beautiful Sydney. northern beaches, or on the sh- not on the beaches. I moved to the beaches when I was about eighteen, and then stayed there. Okay, not Camaray. No, not Camaray. Oh yeah. What school did you go to? I went to Winona. Okay. Girls' school, private yeah. girls' school. I think we've had another. I think we've had other interviews with well, Winonas. Yeah. Haven't we? I yeah. think um, Kate Burton, the B Burton, mm. Queen B. Mm. Mm. I think she went to Winona. Winona must churn out some <laughs> activists and, um, and people who are passionate about, you know, protecting the environment. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I guess Lucky she, she certainly was. Okay. And Lucky you didn't go to Cromar High from what I gather. Have you heard that podcast, The Teacher's Pet? No. no. Okay. Watch 60 Minutes on Sunday. Oh, yeah. I just gave them a free plug. Good plug. <laughs> I was going to say. Nice. I'm not nice plugging thing. them. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So anyway, I digress. So Shani, let's go. Okay, so you moved to the the beaches when you were 18 or 19. And yeah. is that when you found your passion for the ocean? Well, I think I've always had a passion for the ocean, although it probably kicked off when I was young watching, you know, documentaries, Valerie Taylor type stuff, you know, doing crazy things like, you know, diving with great white sharks without a cage. They were the first, you know, Ron and Valerie were the first people to do that, which is pretty amazing. Hmm. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet them? I have met Valerie Taylor, yes. Okay. Good. Ron's no longer around, yes. is that right? Ron, yeah. Ron is Valerie away. still alive, is she? Yeah, yeah. How she's, she be... she's still kicking, she's still diving. Wow. Yeah, she's still being an actor. I wonder how, as old, well. how old would she be? She'd be in her 80s, I'm sure. Yeah, wow. Hmm. Yeah, I remember as a kid marvelling at her, hmm. their, um, their show. Well, they, they, they rivaled um, Jacques Cousteau for, uh, in terms yeah. of international fame. Uh, and they were an awesome couple. I mean, I yeah. remember their programs clearly, but mm. it's unfortunate that a lot of younger kids wouldn't wouldn't <coughs> even know who they were. Yeah. But they were quite um, progressive in the in the in the field of marine conservation, weren't they? I mean, they were way Definitely, ahead yeah. of their time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they could see what was coming, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. I guess Valerie started off. She was um, a spearfisher, and she was the Australian spearfishing champ, I think. Um, for Australia, yeah. And um, then she realised that, you know, what she was doing was harming the environment and then she decided to, to change her ways. So, yeah. So how did you, how did you get, become an activist? For the- oh, I probably had a little bit of time on my hands, which is always a handy thing because you don't necessarily get paid to do this kind of work. Mm. It's very hard to get a paid job in this, in this kind of gig. Um, but I guess I started off with a group of people called Eco Divers. 
um, and they go under the water and they remove rubbish and they do things like seagrass mapping and um, underwater biodiversity studies of the different species. Um, so that's sort of what kicked it off. And then, um, yeah, being involved in different voluntary capacity for different organisations becomes quite addictive. Um, mm. So I've done lots of things, yeah, worked for organisations um, doing lots of plastic education, um, organising beach cleans, um, got involved in wildlife rescue for a period of time. Um, yeah, so did a bit of snake handling and, and snake um, rehab and... and snake re- rehab? Yeah. <laughs> what? They're, they've been on the juice. <laughs> they tried to make me go to rehab, I said no. Well, yeah, I know people kind of freak out when they see snakes in their in their. Oh, so they hit them with something. Like that. Like, yeah. yeah, that can happen quite quite often. Yeah, so um, yeah. Oh, and you've looked at and you look after them, or get them back to health, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And wow. other native animals like possums and things like that. Um, and then from a lot of the work that I did with rehabbing animals, and also the work that I'd done on um, ocean conservation, I started working at the um, the aquarium at Manly. That's no longer. Around, um, and that was great to to work with the animals, um, do a lot of education, and uh, we did a lot of rehab. I, I really liked working with the sea snakes, highly venomous, wow, um, but amazing creatures. Yeah. Have you ever been bitten by one? No, no. Thank you God. wouldn't want to be bitten by a sea snake. But we don't have any sea snakes around the Sydney Sydney area. Do we, we do actually. We get, we do get sea snakes washing up um, and we, or out in the waters. Oh, yeah, we do. yeah, we do. Especially when there's like really big surf, um, they can get washed up on the beach. They can get sort of smashed on the rocks. Yeah, got a really beautiful sea snake called the yellow-bellied uh, black sea snake. It's got a so beautiful pattern. It, so it looks similar to what you find on on land, the yellow-bellied black snake. Oh, the red belly black snake, red belly similar, but it's belly. it's yellow similar. and black. Yeah, yeah, right. So it looks similar. Red, so yellow. Are they related similar. in any way? Do you think? No, they well, yeah, no, I don't think they're related. They're they're a different they're a different type of species. But um, the um, the sea snakes will have a paddle tail. That's how you tell if it's a sea snake or a land snake. Yeah, so they can swim along. Of course, hmm. of course. Wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> although the the new generation aren't, they really aren't because the the special effects that they have nowadays compared to what we had back then, we had to use our imagination. Nowadays, they just go, "That's just crap. That doesn't even mm. look real." <laughs> but in our day, it was really real and it was really scary. And so, for many years, I was actually terrified of going in the water. You know, I'd go up to my knees and I'd be freaking out, sort of thing. Like it was a serious phobia. Right. Um, and then when I sort of managed to overcome that to some extent. And managed to go in the water. I remember one day I was at, at Shelley Beach at Cabbage Tree Bay in Manly s- snorkeling, and I'd kind of, you know, you just kind of get deeper and deeper and not really realizing how far out you are from the beach. And I actually saw a shark. And it wasn't a very big shark, it was about a metre long. And it was a dusky whaler. And we actually have an amazing population that comes in every summer. Um, so it's like a nursery ground for these these amazing creatures. And we can get heaps of them. We can get like 50 to 100 of them in the bay, which is amazing. Wow. Um, anyway, I didn't know any of this, so I just saw this this dusky whaler and I completely 
shat myself basically. <laughs> <laughs> Just as well you were in the water. <laughs> yeah, luckily. Um, so I freaked out. But the, the cool thing was like at the same time it freaked out because I freaked out and we both turned and swam as fast as in the opposite direction. And as I'm swimming like back, I'm thinking, where's the mummy shark? Oh, my God. And then I, my brain's going, well, hang on. Sharks don't have parenting kind of um, thing happening. So, you know, my rational mind was trying to overtake my, you know, emotional mind and I'm swimming back going, oh, my God, is it behind me? Is it following me sort of thing? Um, by the time I got to the beach, I'd calmed down and then I was like, oh, my gosh, that creature was just as scared of me as I was of it. And that's when everything changed and since then, yeah. Happy to be in the water. Bring on the sharks. Hello. Well, hi. Name's Bruce. It's all right, I understand. Why trust a shark, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, sharks are really important for our marine ecosystem, so they're um, the top predator and they actually, um, you know, organise the whole ecosystem underneath them. So they, you know, go around eating all the the fish that um, are sick or injured. Um, So they ensure that um, we're keeping the ecosystem as healthy as possible because only the fittest will survive. But if you take out all the top predators and really like worldwide, we've sort of lost about 90% of our sharks. So um, it's pretty scary to think, yeah, the entire ocean ecosystem can collapse if you take away those top predators. So why so why don't people listen to these this statistic? Oh, I think you know? people are listening. I think I think the word is definitely catching on now. I think yeah, most people are aware of the need for sharks and I think most people are aware of the fact that um you know the sharks aren't really that dangerous considering, you know, how many people swim in the ocean every single day and the very small number of shark bites bites that happen every year. Yeah. So so is it just political bullshit as usual that they talk about this, the, the constant talk about should we cull them, should we capture them? You know, there's all these different types of um, ways of trying to manage the shark problem. Is that just claptrap or is it, you know? Well, I mean, it would be good to be able to manage the risk to some extent, if we could. I mean, the risk is very small. Like I said, it's it's about 10 people worldwide per year on average that die from sharks, so mm. 10 people mm. in the whole world. Um, so obviously if you're a surfer and if you're out in a very remote location and things like that and you're sort of trying to find a wave where you're all by yourself and things like that or, you know, some of the, the places like in WA where they're having a lot of whales, whale carcasses washing up and things like that, you know, those sort of situations can be heightened danger. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's these great personal protective devices now available for people. Oh, is it? Um, yeah. So there's the shark shield and, and various other types as well. So people can wear those. They can have them actually installed onto their surfboards. Um, and I actually think that's probably one of the better ways mm. of managing the risk. You know, people choose to enter an ocean ecosystem, which is basically a wilderness. So, you know, you are going to encounter wild animals. So maybe you need to take the precautions rather than the government trying to, you know, be responsible for everyone's safety. I think one of the biggest things for me was working again at, at Sea Life at Manly, you know, mm. and we just the number of turtles that we had come in as rescues that had ingested plastic or had some sort of plastic entanglement. Um, yeah, they, these guys are really struggling at the moment. I mean, unfortunately, plastic 
a plastic bag will look like their food, which is a jellyfish. Um, and the other thing is those balloons, those helium balloons, when they burst, they actually burst up at altitude and they burst and they look like a, a jellyfish. Yeah, they look like they've got tentacles the way that they burst. Um, so they really resemble the food, which oh. is a real problem. Yeah. So kids' parties where they've got 400 balloons and then they all let them go or yeah. whatever, they just they get to a certain height, burst, and they end up in the ocean. Yeah, often they'll end up in the ocean. Or if they end up on land, you know, they might get washed down the stormwater mm. drains into the ocean. So that's a real problem too. Yeah. Plastic pollution is a, is a huge problem. So what, what um, kind of things are you seeing uh, can be done about it? Like... Uh, it needs to be tackled at all levels. So, I mean, it's great that people are doing beach cleans and it's becoming more and more popular all the time. Um, but, you know, we just – it's it's going to keep coming in. So we have to find ways to stop it at the source. Obviously, if people can uh, replace their um, single-use plastics um, and not use those, like things like straws well, – nobody needs straws unless, you know, you have a disability or something like that um, – and in those cases, I think those people can, can carry their own straws. Mm. Um, you can buy stainless steel straws. So that's obviously been really popular at the moment, the whole the whole straw thing, which is taking off um, around the place, around New South Wales. It's really good. Um, we've got, had some, you know, good plastic bag bans around the country. It'd be great if New South Wales could jump on board with all the other states and do that too. Well, that's part yep. of our... Well, my daughter was very excited yesterday. She came home and she said, guess what, Dad? And I said, what? She said, I went to Macca's this afternoon and they've got paper straws now. Oh, really? Mm. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, they got a bit of pushback. I guess mm. the really important thing is like people can get, you know, very vocal when they're angry about something and when they're put off by something. But people tend to not say much when they're happy about something. So it's really important. Mm. Like if you go to a restaurant and they're doing the right thing to let them know that they're mm. doing the right thing. You know, where you are fitting in with the conservation of marine... I mean, you, you said in your, your bio that we only have 1% of our harbour dedicated as a marine reserve. Is that right? Well, I'd say in the in the bioregion, so the area that's for the proposed Sydney Marine Park that's just been released in yes. the last three weeks, so yes. that, that area extends from Wollongong to Newcastle. So that's like considered a whole bioregion and there's certain species that tend to hang around that area that are different from the bioregion yes. a bit further north and different from the bioregion a little bit further south. Um, and we need to protect each bioregion and, and there was um, an audit report that came out in 2012 that basically said that all of our marine networks, because we've got six marine parks in New South Wales, um, they're all doing quite a good job to protect marine biodiversity but there was this gap between Wollongong and Newcastle that we urgently needed to fill. Um, so the government is finally trying to fill that gap. So currently we have less than 1% in sanctuary zone in that area. Yeah, so, so is <coughs> that, um, uh, I mean, who, who was responsible for mapping out those, those zones? Uh, like, I mean, that sounds like a very hard technical work to map out the, 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 the various zones, marine zones. Oh, okay, so yeah. where they've decided which will be sanctuary yeah. and which how, will be... How do, you, how do you do that? Yeah, um, it was really good. Um, I managed to talk with some of the people from fisheries who were working on that project last weekend and get a little bit more clarity around how they actually did that because there is a lot of contention around, you know, the choosing of the zones and things like that. Yep. And the way it was described to me was that they took all the environmental 
aspects, you know, all the important sites, you know, the seagrass beds, you know, all the things that we needed to protect Mm -hmm. and they popped them all into this, you know, fancy software program. Um, And then they um, also overlaid that with all the sites that people had identified as really important for them, whether it was for surfing or for fishing or for diving. Um, And they put it all in and basically what they came out with was what would give the most environmental benefit for the least social, you know, disruption. So it was sort of trying to get the best of both worlds. Wow. <laughs> so that's that's what they came up with, yeah. So um, the proposal for the Sydney Marine Park, or we're calling it the Sydney Marine Park, but it's really the Wollongong to Newcastle Marine Park. Hmm. Um, and it's, um, it's 2.4% that will be in sanctuary zone in this proposed park if it gets up. And what's your opinion on that? Is that a fair percentage? To be honest, it's quite low um, compared to other marine parks in the state. They've ranged from between 16% sanctuary up to like 28.5% sanctuary. In the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, they have 34% sanctuary. And the research is pretty clear on on this. You know, the more, the bigger um, the sanctuary zones, the more benefit you actually get in um, producing more fish that spill over to the other areas and then provide more fish for the fishers. So these sanctuary zones don't don't stop divers from going in and having a look around and, and just enjoying the scenery, but what what do they effectively stop people from doing? Yep, so um, sanctuary zones, you're not allowed to have any extractive act- activities, so nothing where you take anything out. So So fishing wouldn't be allowed and also mining wouldn't be allowed as well. Um, most of the sanctuaries do allow anchoring, although you're not supposed to anchor in seagrass beds because it rips up the seagrass basically. So uh, I know there's some people that would like to see um, anchoring restrictions in places like Cabbage Tree Bay at Shelley Beach. But again, talking to the fisheries guys the other day, there's a set of rules around, you know, the people when they're on on the boat um, and if they're not feeling really comfortable or if they're in heavy seas and stuff like that, they need to be able to, you know, come in and anchor in these safe havens as well. So um, I guess, you know, there's a little bit of um, ensuring that people... People can be safe in, in areas, especially, you know, if the surf gets really big or if they're mm. not feeling confident with their boat and things like that, that they can have a safe harbour to, to come and anchor in. So, mm. um, yeah, there's a lot of people in Sydney, so um, yeah. there's a lot of competing priorities. Well, one of the, one of the scenes I saw on uh, War on Waste was uh, the amount of uh, plastic that's in our harbour. I mean, really. That, that in itself um, it seems like an insurmountable task to clean up, yep. right? let alone protect the marine life as well on That's top right. of all that. Um, it, it, does, it ever, does it ever get to you some, sometimes? I mean, does, do you ever feel like it's, it's unwinnable? Um, sure. You know, I, I have my days when it's, it's tough and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, how are we ever going to get, you know, the, the problems seem insurmountable. But then if you look at the fact that there's so many people working on these issues and, I mean, one of one of the best um, campaigns that I've seen is the Take Three for the Sea campaign. Mm-hmm. I just think that's awesome. It's just so simple. Everyone can do it. Everyone can take three pieces of um, plastic when they visit the beach or the park or even when you're just walking down the street. And if everybody did that and then if everyone reduced their plastic consumption and then if the industry stopped producing so much plastic and packaging and things like that, we, we could definitely make a make a real dent in it. My experience of working with the government, you know, going in there and having meetings and trying to change um, 
perceptions and, and change the actual policy has been quite positive. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, back on the shark issue, I, I met with Mike Baird on that. Um, he happened to be the Premier at the time and he happened to be my um, my Member of Parliament. So right. um, I met with him on the issue, uh, the fact that we were, you know had shark nets all up and down the coast. They really weren't keeping people safe. They were just killing marine life. Um, we presented him with a couple of different options to look at of, of other ways to actually protect the marine environment. And from that, um, he actually put in $16 million of funding um, for um, trialling new alternatives. So they are actually being trialled as we speak. So... Is that what the yellow boy yes. is out there? Yeah, yeah. Well, the little <coughs> yellow boys, the three <coughs> little tiny ones, that's yep. actually the shark net from on Bondi Beach. But what's the big one in the, the middle? The big one is a, um, a, a um, what is it? It's a listening station, yeah. So they basically, they, they've got a tagging program where they tag the sharks yep. and then if the sharks swim in the vicinity of that listening station, they can actually pick up and then let the, um, the, the lifeguards know, which is, yeah. That's you can't ta- tag every shark in no. the ocean, though. So oh, that's, that's right. yeah, it's a research tool basically, and okay. it can you know tell you if there's a shark in the area, particularly you know a, a white shark or something like that. that so all of that's from your you, you guys lobbying people like Mike Baird. Yeah, that's right. So yes. well, there's that was, proof that, was, that, that it was quite successful. Yeah. yeah, and um and the Sydney Marine Park campaign. I mean, this has been a really long-standing campaign. I know people have been working on this. Um, an active campaign for the, at least the last 10 years. So it's taken time um, to get this to this point. Mm-hmm. And I know the government back in, like I said, 2012, they did their independent scientific assessment and they said, yep, this area needs to be protected. It takes government a little while to actually get round to doing things. You know, there's all the bureaucracy and they have done a lot of stuff in the back end. There's been four rounds of public consultation over this whole process and yep. we're, we're now into the fourth one. Um so we're not we're not quite there yet. There's a proposal on the table, but um, it's great to see you know government moving in the right direction. It's probably not enough protection, um, but you know we've got to start somewhere. But if we could have um, marine parks like they have over in New Zealand that have been around for a long time and they're working really well, big sanctuaries. Um, well, firstly, the fishing would be completely off the charts. Um, people in Australia boast about catching a five six kilogram kingfish. Over in New Zealand, they boast about catching a 50-kilogram kingfish. Like, that's kind of the difference. So um, if we really protect our marine environment and have these amazing sanctuaries, then we know that it's going to improve the fish stocks. Um, some research came out this um, this year, some quite scary research, um, by um, a researcher called Graham Edgar. And um, basically... Over the last 10 years, you know, we've had a decline in our um, Australian fish stocks by a third, the ones that people eat. So that's even with our world-class fisheries management and quotas for commercial fishing um, and all the rules that are in place. So things are still declining. But what they actually found was when they looked at the difference between um, the sanctuary zones where you're not allowed to fish and then the habitat protected areas where you can have a bit of recreational fishing but not so much commercial fishing and then the commercial fishing areas. So the difference was astounding. So um, in the sanctuary zones there was no change. So there'd been no decline in these these big um, you know, commercially interesting fish that everyone likes to eat. In the recreational areas, there was like an 18% decline where you can recreational fish, but the other areas, it was like a 30, 33% decline. So um, 
we've if we, we kind of fish down everywhere, we're not going to have anything really left. So mm. we need to keep these areas as sanctuaries to ensure that that's where the fish from the future are going to come from. That's where, you know, hopefully they pick good areas where it's just spawning sites and things like that, places, nursery zones where, where fish grow and breed. Um, and that's, that's the critical thing. And how far out do you think these sanctuary zones should go? Because, I mean, there's a... They don't go out very far, do they? Um, there's a there's a couple that are proposed to be quite big. So there's one from um, South Bondi to Coogee that's um, that's looking like a quite quite nice big sanctuary. Um, but how far out oh to see would they go? It it doesn't. Yeah, it probably goes out. I think probably about a kilometre. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about marine parks, it can be a little bit confusing. So there's the marine parks at the state level. Uh, and that's the one, the level that I'm working on. The, the Sydney Marine Park campaign is is literally the state um, government that we're um, talking with. Um, and the waters, the state waters go out from the coastline and it includes all the estuaries and the rivers and things like that up to the tidal influence. Um, and it goes out to three nautical miles, which is about five k's offshore. Yeah. And then from there, it's the federal waters and then that goes out to international waters. So, um, yeah, we're talking five k's out to sea. Um, and really, Internationally, the UN recommends um, what's called the CAR principles. It's comprehensive, adequate and representative. So you need to have sanctuaries that are big enough. They've got to be adequate in size and they need to represent lots of different types of ecosystems. So you need your lagoons, you need your, your sand flats, you need your offshore islands, you need your deep reefs, your shallow reefs, you need your estuaries protected and you should have that sort of protection represented at least three times in a bioregion. So you should have, you know, three sanctuaries in, you know, lagoons and three sanctuaries in lakes and three sanctuaries at least to, to be consistent with the car principles. And, and there should be um, sort of a, a network between them as well. So these fish can actually swim between the different areas. So just sort of having a little sanctuary over here and another little one over there, there's no connectivity between them. You really should be taking it, you know, from the estuary all the way out through the deep reef, the shallow reef, the deep reef, and then all the way um, out to um, federal waters to be, you know, and then you'd hope the federal marine park system would take take over from there as well. So, wow. yeah. There's, that's a lo- there's a lot more thought um, to it than I than I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's the principles that the, the UN recommends. And the UN are recommending, you know, kind of a minimum of kind of 20 to 30% of our oceans are in sanctuary. That's to ensure that we have fish for the future. But how's that helping, uh, you know, um, countries, <laughs> underdeveloped countries? And, I mean, how's that going in underdeveloped countries around the world? Uh, first world yeah. nations are certainly complying. Um, so, some, some are not, <laughs> I know. Some, I uh, shouldn't mention Spain. Uh, did I? Did I or, anyway, uh, but how's it going globally? Well, I mean, it's hard. I mean, when, when you're in a situation where in a lot of first world countries, a lot of island populations, you know, they're relying on the ocean for, you know, their subsistence and they're relying on it for their for their income as well. Um, so, and there's not a lot of regulation. So that's, that's a real challenge in places yep. like that. Yeah. Um, I think we're here in Australia. I mean, people... Uh, saying, you know, why do we need to protect the marine environment? It's so good. Like, it, it's it's amazing. The harbour's never been better. And, and yeah, the fishing in the harbour has improved dramatically since they stopped commercial fishing in the mm. harbour because it was toxic <laughs> and you shouldn't really be eating a lot of the fish from the harbour. Um, yeah, of course the fishing's going to get better, but, I mean, do we wait till things are, are 
dire before we protect them. I, I think, you know, if you've got something that's great, like the Great Barrier Reef, you know, we, we had the foresight to protect that. So let's protect what we have now before we lose it. Yep. Um, I know um, there's a, a place in Mexico, Cabo Pulmo. Mm. Um, they have a marine protected area there, amazing. Um, it wasn't the case and the government wasn't on board with, with putting in any protections. Um, and the, it was the commercial fishers that actually put the protections in place themselves. They recognised that the entire um, ecosystem was collapsing um, and they weren't catching fish anymore. So they actually... Um, set up their own marine sanctuary and they actually policed it themselves with boats and guns. <laughs> it got well, really as you serious. do in Mexico. That's <laughs> what you do in Mexico. <laughs> and, um, you know, sort of 10, 15, 20 years on, it's amazing. And they've still kept that sanctuary zone in, in place, but their fishing has come back and they, they commercially fish just outside the sanctuary and they it's can amazing. make a living and the marine environment can um, recover. So, so Shani... How do people get in touch with you if they're interested in what you do and so they can get behind what you do? Yeah, well, it's a really critical phase at the moment. So we've got three weeks left of our um, um, the proposal for the marine park here um, between Wollongong and Newcastle. Three weeks left to have your say. So um, the sub public submissions close on the 27th of September. Um, so the best way to do it would probably be go to our website, www.sydneymarinepark.org.au. Um, there's a take action page on there. Um, so yep. there's a link to go directly to the government survey with some information on how to do that as well. Um, we've got a little video. Um, there's a bunch of other things you can do. You can sign out petition and stuff like that. But the number one thing we need people to do right now is put in submissions. Yep. Um, we really need to get this marine park up. We need to get more protections on the water. So, yeah, do a submission today. Even if you don't know a lot about the areas, you can do as little or as, as much as you want in your submission. You can literally go in and say, yes, I support the marine park proposal and write your name and that's it. Yep. Um, or you can actually go into detail where they go into the detail of the different sites um, and you can you can make comments on different sites. You can make it on one site. You can make it on all of them. You can write a 5,000-word essay if you'd like for this but, or you can just spend, you know, 30 seconds doing it online. So the more submissions we get, the better. So, uh, George? Well, I, See, so if I George could do a verbal it. submission, and I'll, it, it I'll would do, go for yes, a long I'll, time. I'll be doing a, a voice recording and sending it as an attachment. Which you will go probably, for about... Yes, yeah. you can attach documents. Mm. Yeah, so Does definitely it, do that on the government link. Well, yep. hopefully it doesn't have a time limit because otherwise it'll probably go on forever. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> very much, Brent. Shani? Thanks for coming in today. Thank really you, enjoyed Shani. what you're... And, we, you know, we'll, keep up the good fight. Yeah, well, we're really uh, impressed by what you're doing and, and we hope uh, that the government does listen. Yep. Yeah. It's three yeah. weeks to go before you tell us the news. Ah, hold on. Did you send me your favourite song? Because we always finish Float Your Boat with a favourite song. You okay. Say. Hmm. Okay, probably Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of that lately because my son's all of a sudden Pink Floyd mad. So, right. so Comfortably Numb. Ah. Shani, thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, George. <laughs> thanks, Shani.
Is there anyone at home? Come on, come on now. I hear you feeling down. Well, I can ease your pain, get you on your feet again. Relax, relax, relax. I need some information first. Just the basic facts.
So listeners, just remember, if you like Float Your Boat, go and review us on whichever app you're using at the moment, whether it be... On your Android or your iPhone. Yes. And be sure to review, uh, find the review tag. and Click on that and write a nice review. Yes. And subscribe. Yes. Because all of that goes into pushing us up the rankings a little bit more so we can spread the love of Float Your Boat out there to the real world. And apart from all that, we really would appreciate it. We would. We appreciate all of that stuff. And and if you've got somebody that you think would be great for us to interview, um, email us at fybpodcast at gmail.com. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs>